So when you're in fashion, how do you, is it you, you copy because people do the same thing or is it in the air or how does it work? Um, so when I was in, a, in university uh, doing my BA, when I looked at the shows, I was surprised at how close or how linked, uh, you know, some of these themes were as they started to come out season after season. Uh, and I, you know, had this naive thought that like, oh, maybe they're all talking to each other. They're all part of this <laughs> friend groups or something. And, you know, they trade interns, who knows? Um, but it wasn't until I actually really got into the industry that you start to realize that it's a feeling in the air that you start to feel like, you know, you can almost feel like there's a change that's coming. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, like right now, I think that there is a tectonic shift that's just about to happen in mm -hmm. fashion. I don't know if it's going to be with the arrival of, of, um, of Phoebe. Uh, it may be. Um, <laughs> but I think that we have hit the edge of uh, clothing that has been extremely ostentatious and loud for, well, essentially just some of it, just for the sake of just that. Um, and I think there's going to be a, a new sort of, um, I don't want to say tailored because it's not about tailored, but it's almost a return to a, 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 an idea of an elegance that hasn't really been around for a while. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's like when we moved online, there was this interesting uh, idea that, you know, we had become the post-literate generation. We had went from a generation of when everyone read and we all read the newspaper. And that's why we all had this sort of cafe culture society where everyone could talk to each other because the, all the ideas were all out in the air in one single place that everyone digested them in. But as you become more fragmented, then my, I'm illiterate to your idea and you're illiterate to mine because we don't read the same papers. We don't, have, we don't follow the same mm -hmm. media channels. And then that creates collections that are illiterate from each other. And then from a, the wider social scene as well. And it feels like it's becoming so fragmented now that it either continues like that and everything, everything just keeps running its course. Uh, and we keep repeating the 90s and the early 2000s yeah. ad infinitum, which could happen. I think we're probably in a cycle now for a while. But I do think that there's some sort of tectonic shift that's going to take place within the next, I don't know, two to three years in fashion that completely erases everything we're looking at. And then overnight, you'll look at those sort of oversized shapes and you'll say, oh my God, they're, these are so wrong now. These don't make any sense. And I don't know if that's going to come straight from fashion or some other bigger movement, but I think that there is something there that feels like it's coming. It's, it's very interesting. You mentioned earlier on, you mentioned Laura Piano and Bruno Cochinello. And if you think about Phoebe, in a way, there is a link in that slight understatement, in that luxuriousness of not shouting. Mm. And it's kind of the, the, also for me, what was so interesting was that Demner opened the Balenciaga Couture with just those black pantsuits on mm -hmm. both men and women, but with the great heels. Seemed to me that it was saying, these are clothes that you don't have to be clever to understand, but you have to be knowledgeable to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and also he, he has that way that I think all great designers do, which is if you buy one of my pieces, it doesn't necessarily dictate your outfit. You can yeah. decide, you can actually slot me in. 
Yeah. And Balenciaga has some great pieces like that because I have a, one of his um, uh, um, double-breasted trench coats, not trench coats, um, um, wool um, double-breasted uh, coats. And, you know, if I wear that with a skinny jean, it looks very Balenciaga. But if I wear it with a, like a, a more wider, uh, um, you know, wool uh, tuxedo trouser, I look positively, you know, like Russian priest, completely, <laughs> completely different. And you can slot it in and decide how it works out. But um, I think, yeah, the best designers are able to do that instead of just making something that, oh, well, now that you're just wearing that coat, it's basically, you know, taking over your entire personality. But then isn't that one of the great kind of hallmarks of luxury in a sense, not just in fashion, is pieces that those in the know know how incredibly expensive and limited edition they are. And to other people, it's like, oh, it's a nice black coat. Who's that? But it, it, it's that kind of thing. Because I don't think that a lot of what Phoebe does is not shouting. It's, it's, it's speaking very quietly. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, there's, a, there's, there's an interest in having those pieces that uh, are, um, that sort of signal to that in-group that you want to signal to that you understand yeah. that you have the same, you know, cultural references. I can even go as deep as like, we have the same political affiliation. You know, there is that yeah. there's something there as well. I think that's really interesting. Um, I guess personally for me, I remember going into those stores and purchasing certain items because they were sort of seminal pieces that then mm -hmm. I constantly go back to. And, and there's a kind of pride there where I have a suit that I bought four years ago and, you know, over lockdown and COVID, you know, I wore, I wore that suit last night and it still fits. And then yeah. it brought me back to the moment when I was in the store and we got the tailor to come out to tailor it and all this. I mean, I think that's, that's something special that you can't really recreate in any other medium um, that people kind of sort of like look over and kind of poo-poo like you know it's not that important but I think it quite it, it is there's a ritual ritualization to this that you know you don't really have in any sort of other consumer goods you don't think about that kind of thing when you're purchasing a vacuum cleaner you know there's not that kind of ritual there do you agree believe comment on something that I feel that even someone in politics who looks scruffy is actually making a conscious statement mm. that what we put on and how we wear clothes is a statement always even people that aren't interested in fashion mm. they still have to make a decision what they're going to put on yeah and i think that what's interesting about what you know back to the the if something's in the air that that idea that we would be going against all that Gucci decorativeness, all that retroness, all that layering and fuss and whatever, and saying it, we want to breathe more. We want to kind of have that thing about how, you know, for want of a better word, back to Phoebe. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, that that is also part of what that change in fashion does? It, it is making another statement consciously or unconsciously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think those conscious 
statements about how you actually physically wear those pieces are you know more important more important cultural signifiers with them than uh than actually the pieces that you buy it, i think it is more important how you wear them i mean I, I remember thinking that if i saw you know when phoebe had left and i was just fatigued from seeing the same sort of like Celine clothing constantly. And I would see someone walking around with a jacket perched on their shoulders. I would just think, oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> you're, still, you're still doing that. Um, <clears throat> even today, I just, oh, bad. Um, and then there's another you know, side of that where in menswear right now, I, there's this weird thing that's going on in tech where you know, tech founders are walking around without shoes on. They're walking around cities without shoes. And it, it is uh, you know, like, to use their parlance, it's a flex. It's the show that I don't need to wear shoes. <laughs> look how look how uh, successful I am. Don't need to wear it. I, I think you know with clothing like something like Celine's. I think a lot of it. The interesting thing was I felt that as much as it was, and I don't believe that this was actually the ethos of of, of Phoebe. I think this was something that the press tacked on, which was really, I don't think it was correct. They kept talking about it being a clothing brand for women in the sense of like it was for their everyday lives well i'm not sure if any of those editors had ever actually been into a store because do you know how heavy those coats were yeah you're a woman I, who's below five six you can't yeah. wear any of them because they're too long first yeah. of all so you cut out an entire population there most of that fabric could stand up on its own yeah uh, there is there's nothing that could not be everything had to essentially be dry cleaned uh there were an abundance of, of creams and, and light colors, along with um, really supple leathers on a lot of the bags that you know could be um, uh, you, know, you could stain really easily. So I always thought that that was really strange, but that was a signifier that they had attached to the brand. And I, I'm not sure if she actually ever said anything about it, but I know that that wasn't what she thought. I'm not that I know, but I doubt that that's what she thought when she started to revamp the brand herself. I think she was just trying to reach for a new aesthetic goal. But it's interesting that signifier that the customers attached to it later. Um, made I it think that's also interesting because it goes back to the very beginning of where we started with brands that are already established. Mm -hmm. Celine was always a little bit bourgeois, mm -hmm. you know, the original of, of Celine. And over the years where they'd had various people, they'd had people who'd worked at Prada take it over. They had all sorts of different people do Celine. And it was a brand that I knew from, from way back, from, from ever. But it wasn't a fashion brand. Mm. In the same sense as Burberry has upped itself into luxury, Celine upped its price point hugely from where it was originally mm. um, and its whole approach to its customer. And I think that there were quite a lot of journalists who were juggling between what they knew about Celine and what they thought was happening with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just interesting to see that and to say like, you know, this is a, I don't know, it's clothing for a modern woman. And I thought to myself, what, no, what, no, it's not. <laughs> what are you the talking about? The rain looped back up on itself, which weighed, you know, I went to say, I saw it in the shop as well. That idea that, you know, in actual fact, particularly a huge amount of women in, in, pub, in the public eye, whether they're pol politicians, they work in laboratories, they work in whatever, 
mm. um, the oil industry, you know, there were women working everywhere. The, the, the implication that they were all rushing off to buy Celine because it was aimed at them seemed to me an odd mismatch. Yeah, I mean, I, I think looking back on the whole, the whole thing, it all feels a lot of, it all feels like it was a lot of hype. And a long time ago. Yeah. It feels a long time ago. It does. It does. And, and I mean, I think the testament, well, obviously the testament will be to see what happens with her. I don't think she'll do the same because I think that would be foolish. Um, And I, I don't, I think she's extremely savvy in, in what, you know, extremely aware of what's going on in culture. Um, Uh, but I think one of the telltale signs is, you know, we had talked earlier about Daniel um, being unceremoniously, you know, escorted from the premises, it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, um, <clears throat> if Blazy decides to just, you know, to, to, to continue with the creative vision, uh, then we, I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to see how he's going to deal with that now, because I would be, it would be very hard if, if you were the creative director, knowing who was coming out and knowing that you had up to that point, I think they had something like 9.2% quarterly rise in sales um, the previous season, but knowing that, okay, so now do I continue with this or uh, do I change? I do not envy him. That's the worst position he could possibly be in. It's going to be it's going to be difficult but then again that's part of this whole thing that we we, we, we touched on earlier on which is the roundabout of designers and mm. the fact that often the pool seems comparatively small but he's already been you know at other houses and that mm. is yes you want people who've had experience mm. but it it's it's always a hard one because are they bringing their own fresh eye are they following what's already been established that work exactly what you said at the beginning? It's, it's, it's about juggling quite a lot of different things and making the men in the suits at the top who are looking at the cash registers happy. Hmm. I think it's a tough one too with creative directors. I think historically, from what I've seen, the best ones either you have to have nearly next to no um experience so you have mm-hmm. to have started your own brand and then you you don't really work up or you have to have been a creative director elsewhere and proven yourself at that point to go forward yeah. rarely is it somebody who comes from like you know oh i i worked my way up on the label i did senior designer and then i did a designer. it's like no you've you've worked for other people and that's a problem it stunts any sort of um uh you know excitement or risk because then you're basically you're looking at you know the things that hadn't sold by the people you'd worked with before worked with before, and it, it scares you in the same way that you know you, you're more fearless as a child because you don't know what a broken knee feels like <laughs> uh, until yeah. you yeah until you see you know him get escorted from the building and um, I don't know I think Blazy will be probably pretty good because I think he was pretty good at Margiela when he was there. I love um, what he did at Margiela. Very much. It was fun. I think he's got a he's got a good head on his shoulders. He seems um seems like a nice guy. Uh, I'd like to see what he does. Definitely. Well, I think what I always remember is that it it is 
you know, quotes sometimes that can trip you up, but it's a quote I do love. Anna Winter said that if you haven't been fired from a job, you can't really say you've had a career. Mm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. But you know, for some designers, it's it 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 does strengthen them. But we'll we've got a lot to watch, and I think a huge amount of people are not saying the same as you've said about change. But I think there is a, a great feeling that we need a change in the fashion business and the fashion industry. And some of that may well come from the actual imagery that we start looking at of, of those clothes that don't require so much of a, you know, an intensity in, in being overstyled and overplaced and over consumed, if you like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just remains to be seen. Um, I have to tell you that working with students, they are still very much into that. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a thing I see in portfolios quite a bit. Um, so I think it's probably gonna be another two or three years <laughs> until we really- We'll, we'll have to wait, but it's also the difference between students who turn out to actually be stylists and students who turn out to actually be designers. Yeah. And yes, it's a very blurred line for a lot of them. <laughs> yep. Thank you very much indeed. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.